Gracious God, give us strength to seek the truth, come whence it may, cost what it will. Amen. Please be seated. Today there's no escaping Thomas. Our gospel story centers on a particular character, Thomas Didymus, Thomas the Twin, but you know him by another name, Doubting Thomas. This morning I want to ask, how do we handle doubt? I want to try and make a distinction between doubt as a thought process and doubt as a posture. And doubt as a thought process, I believe, is crucial for faith. Doubt as a posture can become toxic. Doubt as a thought process, I'll say it again, it's crucial for faith. Without doubt, can you really have faith? I don't think so. If you know something beyond a doubt, you don't have faith, you have certainty. The Episcopal Church is a sacramental church, which is to say we celebrate mysteries. What happens to bread and wine on that altar? Somehow Jesus is present. How, you might ask? And I'll likely respond, it's a mystery. What will happen later this morning when we baptize Mira Carol Powell? She'll be marked as Christ's own forever. How, you might ask? I'll respond, it's a mystery. And sacramental Christians believe in ancient signs and tradition, in marking the time and stages of life. And we do it with mystery. And sometimes in our pilgrimage classes, like the one we're going to hold next Saturday, I get a little pushback. These classes are designed for folks who are new to the Episcopal tradition or new to Christianity. They're also designed for anyone who's asking questions, exploring doubts, wondering how this faith and church stuff might work for them. And I get pushback in part, I think, because much of the church has been in the business of certainty. In the Episcopal Church and the Anglican tradition where we find our roots, we've had to hold too many diverse positions together to be certain about too much. We've argued about bishops, the Bible, Eucharist, women, LGBT people, race, colonialism, you name it, we've fought about it. We try to hold diverse people and perspectives together. And so we look to mystery. We say our prayers together, even when we have questions, especially when we have questions. I believe this is one of our strengths as a tradition today. The Episcopalian Madeline Lingle, famous for her children's novel, A Wrinkle in Time, wrote in ways that challenged her readers. She wanted them to ask basic questions, deep questions about God, about family, and even the nature of the universe. Her most famous book was rejected by publishers before it found a home. Publisher after publisher told her that the questions were too big, the themes were too heavy on science for her young audience. When it was published, A Wrinkle in Time went on to win the Newbery Medal. On one of her book tours, a child, knowing that Lingle was a Christian, asked her about her faith. And she said this, Madeline, do you be really believe without any doubts at all? Lingle replied, no. I believe with lots of doubts, 
And I base my life on that belief. Lingle brings me to the distinction I want to make about doubt. There's a difference between acknowledging doubt, thinking through questions, looking for evidence, and adopting doubt as a spiritual posture. Yesterday, a crowd of thousands gathered in downtown St. Louis, one of many such gatherings around the world, to march in the name of science. One of the signs held high in the march at St. Louis was on the Post-Dispatch's homepage last night. It had a picture of a Bible and a caption that said, this is not a science textbook. I thoroughly agree. Bible and science are asking different questions, but the questions that are being asked and that sign in the march, they raise a level of tension that's going on for us right now. Have you ever been disbelieved? Especially if you were telling a story that was important to you, sharing something important. We typically think of children in this kind of situation. A young person tells a story and the adults in the room all nod their heads and then someone finally turns and says, yeah, but that's not possible. The child's frustrated and disheartened, but you have to believe me, she says. No one's swayed. Have you known that kind of disbelief? Have you been so disbelieved? Many in our society have used the Bible as a tool for disbelief. Scientists have spent careers refining data, pushing the edges of discovery, almost unanimously agree about human causes behind climate change. And they have been disbelieved. The Christian tradition has been used to sow doubt toward science. These these disbelievers often call themselves climate change skeptics. I have an issue with that name. I'll tell you about it in a second. Our country is making some dangerous gambles on policy enabled by doubtful stance towards science. And so yesterday, the scientists took to the streets. And scientists would tell you, doubt in the right measure is important. You have to question your hypotheses. You have to look for evidence. You have to stay open to what the facts are telling you. But when you've heard the science and you doubt anyway, that's doubt to a different degree. Folks that call themselves climate change skeptics, I have an issue with that title. That kind of doubt, that posture of doubt, that's not just skepticism, it's cynicism. That kind of doubt can be toxic to your soul. Many climate change skeptics would say that they are distrustful, less of the science and more of the government. They're distrustful that government can do anything about science. That's the sort of cynicism I worry can be toxic in a society. Think about it. When science and government have worked together, we've gone to the moon. We've funded cures for diseases like polio. We've fed the planet. Government in a democracy, at its best, it's the people acting together. Cynicism would have us say, why bother? You can't fix it anyway. Cynicism leads to inaction, depression, the inability to make change. It's true on a society level. It's true on a personal level as well. 
Cynicism can be toxic. Scientists that I know, they tend not to be cynics. Folks who spend their lives testing theories, looking for answers, they tend toward hope. They want to try and conserve our planet, or if there's too much damage done to a particular system, to find ways to help us adapt and live with the change. Scientists also tend to drive folks nuts when they get down to the bare bones of what we can know. Push a scientist or a theologian too hard, and they both start talking about mystery, and they'll have a wistful look in their eyes. They get lost, as the old hymn has it, in wonder, love, and praise. That's a difference. That's not a posture of doubt. Finally brings me back around to Thomas. You did know I would make it back to scripture eventually, didn't you? In the gospel, today's story is Thomas's big part. He's been mostly off screen in scripture, just a name and a list of Jesus' followers. There's no other action, no other story that centers on Thomas. He does, though, have a couple of interesting lines before we get to today. Late in the gospel, Thomas, sensing the danger ahead as they approach Jerusalem, he speaks his first line to his fellow disciples. Thomas says, let us go that we might die with him. And Thomas has a sense of what's to come. A few chapters later, Jesus tells Thomas that he's right. He will die. And he'll go to his father and prepare a place for them. And Thomas says in response, Lord, we do not know where we are going. How can we know the way? Thomas sets Jesus up for that famous line, I am the way and the truth and the life. Thomas, if he's read this way, it's hard to call him doubting from the get-go. Thomas is more of a true believer. Thomas had given his life to Jesus, this Jesus. We don't hear the story of Thomas' call in the Gospels, but whether he was a fisherman like Peter, James, and John, or a tax collector like Matthew, we can presume that Thomas gave up his way of living to follow Jesus. And his few words in the Gospels give us the sense He'd given his heart as well. Thomas was all in. Thomas was ready to die. So it makes sense that Thomas was disappointed, grieving, depressed. We don't know why Thomas isn't there in that upper room. But you kind of get a sense that maybe Thomas was the most disappointed. He's not ready to jump in at the sight of hope. He's been burned. So Jesus meets him. See the scars. Know that it's me. Only then can Thomas come with the bravery to say, my Lord and my God. It's hard to recover faith from the kind of loss Thomas faced. When I hear Jesus' words to Thomas, don't doubt, believe, I hear Jesus imploring his friend, Don't become a cynic. Don't let life and loss drag you to a place that is hopeless. Faith is not so much ascribing to the right constellation of ideas. Faith is a posture toward life. Jesus doesn't want Thomas to check his brain at the door. 
Jesus doesn't say, believe despite the evidence. Jesus says, here I am. Jesus wants Thomas to choose life, to choose hope, to choose resurrection. That's what life with God is about. As Christians, we say we are Easter people. When we baptize someone like we're about to do, we say you are risen with Christ. New life is always possible. Your life can be new today. You can lean toward the indescribable and glorious joy that Paul talks about. The 19th century Episcopal preacher Phillips Brooks said, The great Easter truth is not that we are able to live newly after death, but that we are to be new here and now by the power of the resurrection. How can your life be new today? How can faith help you lean through the doubt toward that life that the gospel finishes with? He believed that he might have life in Jesus' name. Madeline Lingle said, I believe with all sorts of doubts, and I base my life on that belief. Doubt in the right measure is crucial for survival. If you can't hold doubt, you can't handle mystery. And what is life if not mystery? So doubt in good measure, but be careful. Too much doubt can bruise your soul. When you begin to adopt doubt as a permanent posture toward life, you can push away data. You can push away good news. You can push away faith. Be careful. Can you believe with all sorts of doubts? Can you, like Thomas, base your life on that belief? Amen.